So that deficit from when the body's after that blood flow to when it arrives, the body has to pay that system back and we call that an oxygen deficit. And that's what increases shortness of breath during that early phase warm-up. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 110. It's called Uncovering the Breath Training Secrets Used by Olympic Swimmers with James Fletcher. On today's podcast, I chat with James Fletcher, who has a background in physio and exercise physiology, but he's someone who's more recently moved into breath training for athletes. And he's worked with elite level swimmers such as Cam McAvoy and James Roberts, who have both been on the Australian Olympic team. He's worked with big wave surfer Ryan Hipwood, who surfs waves 30, 40 foot plus on a regular basis. And it doesn't matter if you would consider yourself a weekend warrior, you can still get a lot of benefit from the breath training that James talks about on today's podcast. Now, what James, I guess, specializes in is a very scientific and measured approach to enhancing your ability to breathe. And as you'll see on the podcast, we talk about a number of different ways to go about it and how it can help you in your racing. And it is a very... He has very specific ways to apply this stuff depending on what types of events that you're training for. If it's a 50 freestyle, it's going to be very different than someone who's training for a 10-kilometer swim, as you'll find out. So let's get into the podcast. This is James Fletcher of FletcherTechniques.com, and he's talking about how he got started, how he got introduced to breath training and the importance of it, and why there is a big movement now for high-level sports moving into this field and wanting to find out more about it and use it to give them an edge over their competitors. So here's James talking about his background in physio. Um, my background is in, in physio. Um, so I started working with uh, my first essential job as a physio was um, a swimming physio with Tim Brown at Mermaid Beach Sports Clinic. So that was looking after um, Gian Rooney and, and Grant Hackett. And that was when Miami pool under Dennis was, was essentially in hitting its straps. Um, so I got exposed really early to, um, to swimming as a junior physio. Um, and that was purely from physio, just treating them, you know, shoulders pretty much, um, releasing shoulders. And then he was traveling around with the clinics and I did that for three years. Um, and then took off to join Cirque du Soleil as a physio. So, um, then I traveled around the world with those guys for three years. Um, and that's sort of where my, Breathing uh, interventions started taking place with, um, with the high wire artists, and they get they were getting old. They're fifty plus, and they were having trouble keeping up with the demands of their of their sport. Excuse me. Um, and they're running across the wire and having to maintain a, uh, a composed um, head essentially, and, and a, their shortness of breath levels were starting to impede their ability to make decisions. So. I started looking at the research and what I could do as a physio to help improve their um, their act. And um, first of all, came across the inspiratory muscle training or the similar to the techniques that I use today to improve the, the swimmer's inspiratory muscles. Huh, that's uh, um, uh, and when was that? Yeah, when it, were was, you with it was pretty wild. Well. guys. Uh, well, at the same time, we were um, we were dealing with aftershocks from the Fukushima earthquake, so. That was 2012 um, was when that happened. And so these guys were getting older. We had to have a break from, from 
from Japan because of the um, the earthquake um, and radiation scare, and so we had three weeks off uh, off work. So of course you don't train or, or exercise for three weeks, then you know shortest breath levels come up, and then the anxiety of balancing on a wire eight meters in the air and having these aftershocks wiggle the wire was something that was quite a challenge for these guys to overcome pre-performance so managing that pre-performance anxiety levels also got me thinking okay well what what can we do to help these guys um, deal with this situation and um yeah that's how i found these early remnants of breathing techniques and um using some systems to, to measure and to test and to train um, their respiratory system so you basically you're looking for for a way to help the the older athletes keep up with the younger athletes and what made you turn to, to breath training? What was it that actually turned you on to that could be something that might be able to help these guys? Um, yeah, well, at, at the same time, my mother was diagnosed um, with a lung condition. So um, she just got diagnosed with emphysema, which is a lung condition caused from smoking. And she lives in a housing commission flat in Kingscliff and was struggling um, getting up a flight of stairs. Um, so we started to have to think about finding alternative accommodation for her and um, she's still quite young but this condition can severely limit um, someone's ability to uh, to move, to, to get up out of a seat, to, to walk up a flight of stairs to, um, to their place. So I was like, well, what's available for my mother? Surely there's interventions out there to help her and unfortunately the, the care associated with this type of patient isn't there and that's, I started again looking for um, ways to improve her performance or improve her ability just to live and increase her quality of life so um that's where i, I first found inspiratory muscle training and they the, the timing couldn't have been really perfect for both of those events to occur and um okay well here's a clinical aspect of breath training which improves the quality of life improves the exercise capacity and reduces a patient's shortness of breath um for these patients with COPD, so allows them to walk up a flight of stairs to their home or to clean their um, kitchen in one go, so they don't avoid exercise, they don't avoid activity, and they can maintain some quality of life. Hmm. Um, and then, athletic came the athletic performance field, where inspiratory muscle training can do a similar thing, can reduce shortness of breath levels can improve performance by reducing the fatigability of the diaphragm, um, help control anxiety, and then you know, there's a number of other techniques that, that are around what, what I do, Fletcher techniques, not just inspiratory muscle training. And now I have a suite of techniques to help, um, to help athletes improve their performance. So there's, I mean, obviously there's different dem- demands from different sports. So... You know, comparing a an endurance, let's say an endurance swimmer, someone who's doing a 10k yep. plus swim, compared to a 50 and 100 yep. meter swimmer, what sort of differences would you see in what's required in terms of their breathing, well, I guess capacity and, and, and technique, and then the differences in how you would go about training those those different uh, those differences? Yeah. Um, so you're saying between a let's say a 10k swimmer versus a say 1500 meter swimmer? Yeah. Yep. Um, um, for me, I, I wouldn't see much difference. Oh, um, sorry, sorry. A, both, a, both. a 50 or a 100, like let's say a, a 50 okay. meter sprinter yep. compared to a 10k swimmer. Okay. Great. 
Um, so much, much greater difference between those two athletes that I see. So um, my first consultation usually involves sitting down um, with the athlete and discussing what they're trying to achieve with their coach. Um, so a great example might be sitting down with, with James Roberts and, and Ash Callis and saying, to improve your performance, um, what are you guys trying to work on um, in the pool at the moment? Um, common for a sprinter is to increase their ability to hold their breath um, under duress. So James Roberts wants to swim a 50 with one single breath off the block. So that breath has to be the best breath that he can possibly take. Um, so that's the first thing that I start training is I training their ability to take one breath by increasing their volume. So how much air they can get in. We do these stretching techniques and we measure their inspiratory volumes. And I guess that's something that a lot of, um, Maybe other breath techniques don't do is I put them on a, a testing device which measures how much air they get in. We try certain techniques and interventions and then we objectively measure them after their interventions to ensure that they can or that they are improving those volume breaths for James Roberts in a 50 meter sprint. Um, the other thing that we'll do with those athletes is a CO2 tolerance training session where, you know, if it's a 100 meter sprint, for example, there's a um, they get one breath before they have to hold their breath for six or seven seconds during that turn. So they're already under du duress. CO2 levels are starting to increase because of their stroke rate and the work that they're doing through the water. And they're usually taking a breath every four strokes, generally in a, in a sprinter, maybe every six strokes or so. Um, and then I'm asking them to hold their breath for six or seven seconds while they're working extremely hard during the turn underwater with their kick. So dealing with that, the body's ability to deal with higher carbon dioxide levels is really important in exposing these athletes to higher carbon dioxide levels under this certain um, certain conditions so that they never have to think about their breath or that they're never in a rush to get up to take that breath to ensure that they are fully focused on their kick and their underwater capacity. So that might be something that I work on in a sprinting environment, um, and each athlete's different. I, I also work with Cam McAvoy, and we're working on something completely different. So uh, each athlete is different and, and presents with different um, tests, and, and that's what, what I do in Fletcher Techniques is I measure their strength, I measure their volume, and I measure their power as three general rules, and we look at where those improvements lie. And all, as in you know, the, the power of their uh, diaphragm, how's that? How's that yep. tested? They're in Yeah, so it's tested um, a force of volitional maneuver. So I say I need you to essentially suck on on this device as hard as you can. So it's like a one rep max device. But thinking, think about. Uh, trying to breathe through a, a straw which um, has a uh, which is closed so can you draw air through that um, straw uh, and obviously you can't but I measure the air ability to do that um, and that's their myth we call it maximum inspiratory pressure generating capacity of air in inspiratory muscles and that's measured in centimeters of water pressure so we test that we also test their power so how fast they can get air in and that is something that might be a little bit more um, related to a longer distance um, swimmer. And if we're comparing the sprinter to the longer distance swimmer, um, their ability to get a, a breath in quicker might reduce their 
the time taken for their head to be turned. And we know that that has a direct correlation to improving um, swimming ability or swimming times. If that is over a 10 kilogram um, distance, I really want to focus on a quality breath. Worker breathing, we want to work on as well. So a lot of my swimming athletes, when, when they start working with me, use a lot of their upper respiratory muscles. So you'll see a lot of overactive scalenes, overactive sternocleidomastoid lifting their chest um, because, and I'm generalizing a little bit here and I don't like to do that, but generally swimmers get exposed to a lot of core activity. So core exercises are predominant, holding that um, tummy tight through the water, maintaining the form, and that's essential to their stroke. What I want them to do a little bit as well is or release that tummy a little bit so when they take a breath in they're accessing a part of their respiratory system which has such a reduced work of breathing if you think about taking a big breath in now and just using your chest you've got to move pec muscles you've got to move rib cage you've got to move cartilage in order to create that pressure differential and get an inhalation if you think about just using your tummy there's nothing in the road of that tummy so if you can release the tummy and get a quality breath in through there, then the work of breathing is reduced. If our work of breathing is reduced, then we increase the blood flow delivery to the exercising muscles. So that's that's the foundation of what I try and do is reduce the work of breathing. So whether it is through a technique change by um, increasing diaphragm breathing, I take every breathing, uh, every swimmer's breathing muscles to the gym. We know by strength training the breathing muscles, we make breathing easier. So I reduce the work of breathing. And that over a longer distance, if I reduce the work of breathing, energy delivery to the exercising muscles increases. So it will be more about increasing the swimmer's efficiency by increasing their inspiratory muscle function, which would allow them to get a performance gain. So by uh, inspiratory muscle function, is that essentially increased diaphragm strength? Is that the, the same thing that you're talking about or is that different? Uh, a little bit different. So um, diaphragm strength is part of it, but there are a number of other inspiratory muscles that um, that we work along the way. It's real challenge just to isolate diaphragm movement, and, and I don't usually do that. However, I've, some athletes, Cam McAvoy is, is, a, is a classic example where my first consultations with him was him lying down on his back with a small weight on his tummy, just accessing that diaphragm pattern. So... I don't want them to think about taking a breath when they are swimming. I want it to become an ingrained technique through the, the training interventions that I do. So, yeah, you're right. But it is a diaphragm intervention, but it's also an inspiratory muscle intervention, such as the scalene and the sperdocloidomastoid. Um, and through technique changes as well, we get a reduced work of breathing. And I see on your on the front page... Does that make your, sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And it, like I see on the, the front yeah. page of your website that you've got a number of those guys, James Roberts, um, Ryan Hipwood, a few of those guys who you've, you've got their testing results after, I need yep. to check when it is, but their initial results and then um, what they've achieved after a number of weeks and so on. So how, how long does it take you to see, let's say that first stage of improvement? How long does that take? And then yep. kind of, I guess, the next stage of improvement, how long does that take? Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm a physiotherapist by trade, but I'm also an exercise physiologist. So what I've done is taken the research that currently exists um, out there to the next level. And what we see 
uh, you can liken it to any strength program. So in the first few weeks, you get that neural adaptation. So you start getting changes where you know the muscle's definitely not increasing in size yet, but we're starting to get a technique change and we're starting to get that neural connection. So quite quickly, um, you'll see an increase uh, roughly 10 to 15% uh, from their inspiratory muscles within that first few weeks. Quite commonly in the swimming environment, you'll get the patient saying, look, I, start, I started to no- first notice that my hypoxic sets are becoming much easier. So what's driving that? I mean, that's a, a great question. And is it an increase in volume? So am I allowing these athletes to get more air in during the breath that they're allowed to take, which is reducing that hypoxic feeling during that, those hypoxic sets? Is it more efficiency? So by getting that neural connection are we making the breathing system more efficient so that during those hypoxic sets it's making easier? Uh, that I don't know. I can't measure that when they're in the pool. But um, just from the research and from my experience, I'm thinking that it's maybe part A and some from part B where we're teaching someone how to take a bigger breath in. So during those hypoxic sets, the athlete really thinks about taking that one breath before the nine strokes towards the end of those you know, hypoxic sets. Um, and we start to see that improvement or reduced fatigability of the diaphragm. So uh, we start to see that reduction in, in shortness of breath and reduction in whole body effort, which, again, are the main contributors to the improvements in performance. One, reduction in shortness of breath, and two, a reduction in whole body effort, which allows these athletes to work harder. And what sort of... Um, sorry, second part of your question. Sorry, I, I'm pretty good at talking, so please cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 keep going. This is good. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, in the first two weeks, we start to see a change. Now, because of the, um, the interventions, they're, they're quite high load. Um, they're quite quickly. They're, sorry, they're quite quick. They're less than five minutes of training a day. Um, so I'm not impeding on the athlete's ability to do their other training. Um, but they are really specific. So I don't start to get really specific with the athlete until after about the third session where I say, okay, well, you've done your strength training program. You're starting to move forward with your volumes. We're seeing bigger volumes. We're seeing stronger inspiratory muscles. Now, you know, what sort of athlete are you? Are you a Ryan Hipwood who needs to look at managing anxiety or look at taking a larger breath before, you know, he gets crushed by a 40-foot wave? Are you a a sprinter where you're looking to generate longer breath holds and be really specific about your breath that you get um, off the blocks or before you turn? Or are you a long-distance swimmer who looks to want to hold a better body profile, um, wants to look at uh, increasing the, sorry, reducing the fatigability of their diaphragm and shifting their performance in that manner? So it, it is individual, but um, quite quickly, um, athletes can see results um, within the pool environment. So you, that's, you basically answered the question I was going to ask anyway, which was how, essentially, how time-consuming is it to, to do these exercises? Because obviously, they've still got their primary sport they've got to train for, and um, it's like, you know, like the stuff that we recommend when we're doing clinics and, and when we go away with camps is, you know, you've got to be able to fit in any additional stuff you know, into quite a busy life. So, um, yeah, we look at all right, how, how time-consuming is it now. What those training programs that you often uh, give to people, is it, is it once a day, is it two times a week or twice a day? How does it normally look? What, what do you normally recommend? Yep. It, um, 
it does shift um, as the program goes through. So initially it's 30 breaths twice a day. So that's under eight minutes um, if you do the, the program correctly. Um, we do recommend in the early phases that we, that we start really light. So remember, it's a strength program. So we have a prescription for the, for the athlete. We say, based on your testing results, this is where I want you to work at. I want you to do 30 breaths at, at a certain intensity um, to start building your strength. And that's where all of my foundations lie is, first of all, building a strength and a technique and then becoming really specific. So less than eight minutes a day at its maximum um, is the, the Fletcher Technique Protocol. Um, if we start to get a little bit more specific, so for a sprinter, for example, wants to do some CO2 tolerance or breath hold tolerance training, that training takes a little while longer and I would usually do that in a practical situation. So I would would come out to the the pool, I would grab a bunch of athletes, uh, we would start really easily, I'd start exposing them to higher CO2 levels, holding their breath. Then we would do a couple of objective measures and then a couple of training sets and that usually takes 20 minutes. Um, so I'm actually doing one this afternoon with um, Richard Scarce's crew at, at Bond University. So that'll roughly be about 20 minutes of CO2 tolerance training um, after their normal pool program. Hmm. Cool. And uh, there's, I mean, there's a number of different breath training, I guess, you know, systems or ways to go about it out there. You've got um, the Wim Hof method, which is probably one of the most widely known ones, I guess. And yeah, uh, I mean, yep. obviously, there's a lot of different ways to apply breath holding some of them might even contradict each other and i mean i went to a uh, a kind of a surfing uh, breath holding training course with nam baldwin i don't know if you know nam but um yep. yeah so yeah, I, went, I know yeah. yeah I went to that and that was that was excellent and uh, that was basically surf specific and um so yep. I, what, what's the difference between what you're teaching compared to let's say the Wim Hof method or maybe what NAM teaches to the surf guys. So how, how does it differentiate? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're three vastly different programs. If you're looking at them, the NAM's program, breath enhancement training, you know, the Wim Hof method and, and what I do. Um, my foundation is in science. So I'm a physiologist and a physiotherapist and I want to measure outcomes. So um, Wim Hof, for example, so his breathing technique is, the way I approach it is more about a meditative space to enhance your feelings. Now, we know the breath has a really potent role in, in changing your physiology. Um, I wouldn't recommend the Wim Hof method for a swimmer pre-race, for example. So the Wim Hof method, you're essentially hyperventilating the system, trying to increase the pH of the blood um, to alkaline the body. Now, great maybe for chronic long-term condition treatments, but really in a performance environment if you're exposing the body to higher ph levels your oxygen affinity increases so you're not going to be able to deliver that oxygen to the effectively to the muscles so wrong space to use for wim Hof. um the nan baldwin's breath enhancement training a fantastic program um you know really surf specific uh and from my understanding you know he doesn't put um his athletes on a, uh, let's measure your volume. How big is the largest inhalation you can measure? What is the strength of your inspiratory muscles? Let's measure this right now. So from my understanding, uh, that's how my program would differ um, to his program. Um, I I wouldn't put himself and um, Wim Hof in the same category. Um, I think that NAM's programs are much more specific to an athlete and 
Um, although Wim Hof's great at exposing um, many different people to an alternative lifestyle and exercise and the importance of living a healthy life, um, his program is pretty general in its approach, and I don't know if you would agree, me, agree with me with that. Um, you know, his philosophy is excellent, but uh, in terms of a breath training program, it, it, it's pretty lackluster in, in its attack. Um, Nam, I can't really speak for himself, but the way my program would differ from his would be being a little bit more scientific about measuring the results for a patient, delivering a program, and then objectively testing those results as well. So, you know, like I said before, sitting down with the athlete, James Roberts, for example, needs to take a big breath off the block because he's going to hold his breath for the whole time. So let's make that the best goddamn breath that he can achieve so that he's never worrying about taking a breath towards the end of that 50-meter sprint. So I want to train, flexible train his system. I want to technique train his system. I want to strength train his system. I want to get it really powerful so that he can get that inhalation in as quickly as possible, um, and I'll test him along the way. If I'm not achieving the correct objective measures, then I need to change what I'm delivering to his system. And then that's where my exercise physiologist um, university training comes in. It's okay, well, look, we've done a drop set with his uh, inspiratory muscles. We've overloaded his inspiratory muscles. Now we're going to tax the system under load. So let's fatigue it and then ask him to hit certain measures as well. So we are really potently stimulating his inspiratory muscles to get that adaptation that we're after. So I don't want to rubbish anyone in this breath training space. As you've mentioned, there are a lot of different mechanisms and different ways to approach it. Um, you know, the breath is pretty mystical. It's, you know, it does have a connection to the autonomic nervous system. And, um, you know, like the heart, it, we just breathe and we're not really conscious of it. But unlike the heart, we do have volitional control over it. So, you know, I can over-breathe now. I can become all tingly and numb and, and my muscles can contract which is exactly what happens during the Wim Hof method. Now, what benefit does that drive and give to my system? Maybe if I'm uh, a person who's unhealthy and, and making the wrong decisions in life and, and really need to focus on my health, then it might enable me to get my mind into a space where it's becoming much more easy to tap into a, a positive health space. But if I'm an athlete and looking to warm up or if I'm looking to improve my volumes or looking to improve my performance the, the Wim Hof method might not be what I want to tap into so yeah I think it's taking each athlete and each sport on its on its merit and uh, applying what you need and, and I always talk to the coach I always talk to the swimmer and say look what, what are you after you know what why are you here uh, and what do you want to achieve from my program and then I give those tools to the athlete and to the coach to say if he wants to take less breaths I can help him achieve that if he wants to take a faster breath in because he's um, he's, take, he's turning his head too long, if that's a technique thing you want to work on, I can give the athlete those tools to do that. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's... Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do the same yeah. thing. It's the same thing with swim coaching. There's so many different approaches to it. And you know, yeah. it's, it depends what which athlete you have in front of you. Someone who might just be swimming for purely for, for fitness and they just want to make it as as easy as enjoyable as possible then you know yep. obviously i can i can help them with that um but we're probably slightly mm -hmm. geared more towards people who are looking to um to increase their speed and and race better so people who are often okay. competing we still work with people who are training purely for fitness but a lot of it is people who are looking to improve their racing and um obviously the same thing goes for 
you know, for breath training. And is there is there a routine that you will give your athletes to you to go through before competition? Is there any sort of warm up that you'd have them go through to warm up the inspiratory muscles? Certainly. Um, so we we use a, um, a, a pressure threshold device. So that that way I can set a load for that patient and. You know, coming from a science background, I know their objective measures. I know where they need to be training at to get a, an improvement or get a shift uh, or elicit some fatigue in their system. So during a warm-up phase, there's clear research to show if we do inspiratory muscle training prior to performance, we improve repeated sprints. So that that's where the research lies. So I've worked with the Brisbane Broncos, and they came to me with a problem. Um, my athletes running off the bench um, during middle during the game are really suffering in those first two or three minutes with shortness of breath. Essentially, going from zero to hero. You know, they're on the bike. They're certainly warming up their um, their, their quadriceps, their glutes, their arms when they're on the side, but they're not warming up their respiratory muscles. And what we see is we see an oxygen deficit. So running out uh, onto the field, the breathing muscles start to require oxygen. So they're starting demanding more blood flow and they're already at working at 100% because they've sprinted out there. So that deficit from when the body's after that blood flow to when it arrives, the body has to pay that system back and we call that an oxygen deficit. And that's what increases shortness of breath during that early phase warm-up. So we started introducing an inspiratory muscle training respiratory warm-up on the sidelines, which looks to improve the blood flow delivery to their diaphragm and to the inspiratory muscles before they warm out to reduce that oxygen deficit. Yeah, fantastic. So, yep. yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. And it, was that something that was difficult to get the athletes to 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 take on, or what did that that look like when you went to work with them? Was it a group training that you did? Did you come for several sessions? Yeah, group. Yeah, group training um, session, and each athlete got a device. So it's a pressure threshold device, like I said. Um, David Morgan's a, a classic example. So he's a really vigilant um, trainer and really scientific in, in the way he wants to improve uh, himself and his swimming. Um, so I worked with him quite closely um, and still working with him quite closely in the lead up to Commonwealth Games trials. And he's developed his own inspiratory muscle warm up based on our conversations, the research, and what he's good at. So he uses it right before he jumps in the pool for his race um, for that same um, that same uh, research. So let's put blood flow into the exercising muscle before it's about to race so that we don't increase that oxygen depth so that his shortness of breath levels reduce. And, and being butterfly and, and being pretty good underwater, David, that's he, he wants to work on his strengths and also his weaknesses. So he's saying this is what I want to achieve and this is how I'm going to do it. And um, in our emails, sort of back and forth before we, we set this up, one of the things you mentioned in there was the, um, I hope I pronounced it right, but the, the metabo reflex. Yep. Do, you, do you want to talk yep. a little bit about that? So uh, I mentioned before the, um, the ways that inspiratory muscle training improves performance. So the first one is reducing shortness of breath levels. And that's centered around the neurophysiology of breathlessness. So, what drives shortness of breath levels? Now, that's a really complex field, but what you've mentioned here is the metabo reflex, which is pretty simply explained by if we increase 
the strength of the diaphragm, we reduce its fatigability. We know the diaphragm gets fatigue. We know during fatigue process that the diaphragm and the inspiratory muscles are after blood flow. They want exercise, they want oxygen, they want blood flow to satisfy their energetic demands. So if we reduce its fatigability, those demands reduce and we increase blood flow to the exercising muscles. There's a really great study where they got guys on a, on a cycle ergometer and they made it easy to breathe by forcing air down their throat. So by reducing the work of breathing, which is my foundation technique. So I want to reduce the work of breathing. And they also made breathing harder by breathing through a resistance. So what they saw when they put a femoral catheter in, so that was measuring blood flow to the quadriceps during a cyclobometer test. When you make breathing easier, we increase blood delivery to the quadriceps muscles. When we make breathing harder, we reduce the blood flow delivery to the quadriceps muscles. So by reducing that blood flow to the quadriceps muscles, exercise becomes harder. And that's one of the great things that we see through the research with inspiratory muscle training is not only shortness of breath levels reduced, but exercise is made easier. So we can train harder and we, and we can perform at high levels. Mm. So for, that sounds like for an endurance athlete, that would be one of the key things that you're really looking to, to work on. Yeah, that efficiency is something in a, in a longer endurance athlete that, that is really creating that metabolic efficiency is something that, you know, a 1% can make such a difference over, over a marathon or, or over a long distance swim. Um, and that's where we want to focus is on making breathing as easy as possible. So it doesn't hinder their performance. We don't see a fatigability of the inspiratory muscles and we deliver the blood flow where it's needed into the exercising muscles. Hmm. And um, what I mean, what does your what? How do you normally work with athletes? Is it one on one? Is it group settings? How's that normally uh, normally work for you? And where are you based as well for the people who are who are listening who'd um, who'd like to get in contact and maybe look into this some of this stuff? Whereabouts are you you're based? Yeah, I'm based on the Gold Coast. Um, obviously, that's a great spot for swimming. Um, but I'm I'm working on some things so that I can uh, train people um around the, the world um it's a little bit challenging at the moment to to train people via skype or via video conferencing um, link because i don't get the feedback that i need and i can't see the objective measures that i need to but uh, i've got a solution for that that'll be um, coming out in a couple of weeks actually um i am based on the gold coast and i work with a number of physios around the gold coast uh, from their clinics um, and work with athletes from masters athletes to to your high level Olympians, improving that inspiratory muscle function across a number of different sports. So, from swimming, kayaking, um, running, diving, surfing. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm limited in. I'm not just a breath hold guy. That is a component to what I can deliver if that athlete requires it. Not really necessary for a, a runner. You know, that that's a, a technique that you'd probably be spending your time elsewhere uh, if you're a professional athlete rather than holding your breath underwater, you know. Mm. Um, so people can get in touch um, online or, or on my website, Fletcher Techniques. Um, happy to, you know, this space is, is really, re I've grabbed the research and I've taken it to the next level and there's no one else doing the types of techniques and measurements um, of the inspiratory muscles that I'm doing. Uh, and, and I feel like that I can achieve 
a one to five percent uh, improvement in someone's performance purely just by strength training the muscles and, and that's from the research and like I said I've taken that to the next level and, and someone like Ryan Hipwood who's done um, you know done NAMS course he loves Wim Hof method he does lots of breath training he still finds the time to do some of my training because he feels like it adds on top of what he's already got so um, I feel like I'm in the right space and I'm continuing in the R&D space to say okay well last week I, I got you know, I was in an altitude chamber and went to twice the height of, uh, of Everest and um, with my breath training techniques I was able to perform some push-ups and Okay, so what, what's the body's response to that and, and what sort of hormone levels increase after we come down from such a rapid um, ascent? And can we achieve more physiologically if we you know, hack the body and, and push hormone levels um, through the roof during an intervention like that? So you know, I, I'm continually pushing the boundaries of research and, and, like I said, the ways to improve sports performance. And um, hopefully I can deliver that to your readers, whether it's through a blog post or whether it's through a phone call, email, or if they want to see me in, in a consultation um, here on the Gold Coast. That's great. I'd, uh, it'd be good to get you back on down the track once you've, uh, once you've had the chance to go through some more, you know, go through more research and all that sort of stuff and um, get the latest on what you, what you learn from it. And um, it's quite a, I guess it's probably a, a newly popular sort of field, probably you know, mostly started from, from Wim Hof with that and now it's really sort of picked up. And it's, it's interesting that obviously it applies to nearly every sport out there just in terms of the importance of breathing, but it's something that's only really now just started to, to take off. And um, going through NAMS course, I found that just so, so beneficial and, and interesting and interesting. So, I can't even say that right. Interesting and something that, um, uh, you know, it's something that I hadn't really sort of looked at much before. So um, I appreciate your time and for sharing um, what you've what you've learned so far and your experiences working with some very high level athletes. And um, all the best in the future. Thanks very much, Brendan. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.